This is an SM Media production. Hi there and welcome to the latest episode of Chronicle the Rangers Journey right here on SM Media. I'm Scott Pike. it's an absolute pleasure to be your host in this show as always. We are now into the first show of the 2000s. We are going to talk about what happened when Dick Advocat left Rangers in the summer, well just before the end of 2001 and was replaced by Alex McLeish. To join me in this part of the journey is William Irwin. William, it's a pleasure to welcome you on to the show. Thanks for coming on. A pleasure, mate. Thanks for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. I'm looking forward to getting into this. But we'll we'll obviously set the scene for how this came about. We spoke about it last week that Dick Advocat in the, the last kind of six months had just it was in his head that they just couldn't Rangers just couldn't beat Celtic. Yeah. And it became clear that a change had to be made. Now the the myth was that Dick Advocat was moving upstairs and it was a new manager was going to be appointed. Dig a little deeper in Dick Advocat's job as director of football didn't actually exist. It was a way to save face for both Murray and Advocat. Yeah. But there was a hunt for a new manager. William, do you remember the, the names being linked at the time and who was the kind of the front runner in your opinion to get the, the job? I think at the time we were talking to a lot of different supporters, I think you felt as though you needed somebody that was in Scotland. Um, especially the way that Martin O'Neill played, it was a very direct style. It was probably like sort of old-fashioned football in some people's eyes, but it worked. And we just couldn't cope with that that style under Dick Advocate. We were more of a technical-based team, and you know, speaking to a lot of the guys. I mean, I went to a lot of the away games back then. So when you spoke to people, we felt as though it would be more important to have somebody local. So like at that point, obviously Alex McLeish was right up there. And I think that's important to remember from people's point of view. Maybe there was some disappointment that maybe we've only got another big-name manager after having Dick Advocat. But certainly in my eyes, I thought that Alex McLeish was like the favourite for me at that personal point. Mm, there was obviously four four big names linked with the job. It was announced that Dick Advocat was leaving just, I think it was just before the Hearts game. And there was four names. I'll read, you, read them off. Bertie Votes, who was obviously had just come off the winning the Euro 96 with Germany a few years before. This is before his Scotland time, so at this time Bertie Boats was actually approachable to be a, a possible contender. George Graham, we know obviously about George Graham, his time at Arsenal and his, his run at Tottenham just didn't work out at all. I just think that was never going to, to work for him. George Burley, who at the time was, was doing a phenomenal job with Ipswich, and Alex McLeish, who had brought Hibs back to the Premier League. And really, as, as you say there, I think the thing with McLeish was at this time, and we'll get into obviously how the appointment comes about, but McLeish had built a really strong side at Hibs, not just the, the high league position, they, they were physical, they were hard to beat, the, the likes of John O'Neill in there, Ulrich Larson, Frank Sozzi and mixed with Pat Alain, and just to name a few of the players, look, that's that's a strong physical side and that's a side that's tough to beat and this Rangers team at this time were not physical and not very tough to beat, especially against Celtic. No, look, I think it showed... Um... 
obviously trying to stretch my memory back to 20 years here, but, you know, when you played against a Martin O'Neill Celtic team, if you weren't physical, you weren't going to win the game. You know, you weren't going to be competitive in the games. And unfortunately for us, we just didn't have enough of those type of players in that squad. We could have passed a leather off the ball every single game, but at the end of the day, when Celtic could put the ball up to Sutton and Hartson and Larson, or even like the set plays for guys like sort of Bobo Baldi, we just didn't have enough guys to pick them up. And Celtic were a very good team who could get the ball in the box regularly, whether it was from open play or set plays. And we just weren't really capable of stopping that. Um, and Advocate, for some reason, just never seemed to get that. I don't know if that's just maybe something he hadn't seen before. Um, but we just never actually fixed that problem during the summer. And it was noticeable throughout the season that we were very vulnerable for those type of positions. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's very fair. And I think as well, the the relationship that Advocat had, although Advocat was being told to go and that's what it looks like. It, and he did have a say in who became the manager. He, he, he did have a good relationship with McLeish. He was impressed with McLeish and he said that openly in the past, that this was all about finding someone who had that Good, he had that good relationship with it, and at the time, you, you remember when McLeish was appointed, the Murray advocate and McLeish are all sitting together. I don't think that's ever happened in Rangers mm. history. You've got um, two, uh, the outgoing manager sitting down with the new manager. It's a it's a weird one, but obviously at the time, McLeish, a, a few people in the press, I would say, particularly fans, would have said this was a this was a downgrade, and I think it was. I think it was that still. I mean, we remember in the summer of 98, Advocat was a huge name and mm. I think fans had just got into the habit of it will just be another big name. And at the time, I could see the, the argument for that, but also you Celtic are a different animal at this point and something is needed and something different is needed. Yeah, look, I think... I remember the actual game at Mullable, funnily enough. I remember there was a bit of unrest by people because I don't know if what the right choice of words would be, but I think people maybe felt that sort of Alex was maybe a bit of a yes man, somebody that would just accept whatever David Murray told him to do kind of thing. Because obviously at that point, we'd obviously lost some players that summer who were integral to the first team. And it did look like we were kind of sliding a little bit in terms of maybe the quality of player that was coming into the club. So certainly when Alex came in, I think there was a fear among some people that, we were saving wages because he wouldn't want the same money as Advocat. He probably wouldn't ask for the same transfer budget as what Advocat had been getting. And I think a lot of these things were going through people's mind. Um, and obviously that day at Mullerwood didn't really help matters because I think if my memory serves me right, we drew the game. Yeah, was, uh, I think it was against Hibs. Was it not against Hibs? Was it, I think... I remember, I think, obviously, McLeish was leaving Hibs and I don't think a compensation package had been agreed at this point, but... yeah. As you say, and we get into, obviously, we'll talk about the early stages. He comes in and immediately you just see improvement. I mean, Celtic are far away in the league. The league's over. Celtic are a juggernaut this season. I think they only lose two games. They are a different animal in the league. But Rangers, I mean, an 18 match unbeaten run in the league, It's and you still lose the league by 18 points, it shows you not only how, how impressive Celtic were, but that could have been so much higher if there wasn't a change. No, and I think... So when you look at like some of the results, I actually checked some of them out this morning and I actually didn't realise we went on that run. Yeah. Because it, it doesn't actually like sort of compute in my mind that we went on that run after Advocat left. Um but like yeah, I mean like the one thing at that point was 
he steadied the ship defensively. He made sure we were, you know, resolute. We didn't concede a lot of goals. I mean, like the one thing that team didn't lack was goal scorers. No. You know, that team had a ridiculous amount of attacking threats. But defensively, we just, for some reason that season, we just didn't defend that well at times. But then when Alex came in, yeah, again, oh, he was a top-class centre-back, Alex, so like, he knew how to defend. And that was the one thing towards the end of that season. When you look at a lot of the clean sheets that we kept, we went to a lot of tough venues and we kept clean sheets. And obviously, yeah, you've already touched on it, well, the advocate couldn't get a result against Celtic, whereas the one thing Alex McLeish managed to do almost immediately was to stop getting beat. Mm-hmm. Which, yeah. in most people's eyes, as long as you don't get beat, you'll accept it to a point. Obviously, you want to win the games, but as long as you're not getting beat, and the fact that Martin O'Neill has reigned over Advocate for a decent part of that spell, it was important that Alex come in and, and obviously found a way of getting results against Celtic. And you say that, I think that's that in a nutshell. It's not... There was so many, I mean, there was so many times against Celtic under Advocat, particularly in the later later two years, that what you were leaving there thinking Rangers hadn't laid a glove on Celtic. And the two game the two league games, we'll obviously touch on the other games that they play Celtic in, but two draws, it's not humiliations. It's not obviously it's not a win, but you're you're not going there and getting battered. You're not Celtic aren't coming and running over the top of Rangers. And that was a big thing. But the one thing I want to touch on as well was the only saving grace Advocat really had that season was the UEFA Cup and yeah. obviously beat PSG just before he left. The the two games against Feyenoord, the losing four three in aggregate uh, an aggregate way Pierre Van Hoydonk from Excel to play coming back to Hot yeah. Rangers. That was although it was a four three loss in Feyenoord who had gone to win it and their own their own tough, like that was a prideful performance going there and really showing that you can you can still compete. And that was a big thing for me at this time as well. Like, there was that character that I think that was lacking under Advocate in the later stages. Yeah, look, that was a, a very impressive Feyenoord team. I remember the game at Ibrox, there was a wee bit of unrest because I think the Feyenoord fans tried to get it to the Rangers fans that night. Um, but they had some great players. I think they had like a Japanese international who was a good player. And then obviously they had several Dutch internationals who were all of a very high class and obviously you know Van Hoyndonk could just strike the most ridiculous free kicks yeah. um, I mean even the game with Feyenoord I think I think they played really well if my memory serves me that right um, I think Van Hoyndonk scored either one or two free kicks he scored two free kicks yeah, yeah. one after uh, that McCann getting sent off was a big turning point in that game as well yeah, like, I, I think the thing is like obviously back then like the away goal rule was still in place so yeah. wanting to get so the fact we actually went Two final to score two away goals. Like a lot of the time, that would have been enough to send us through, which would have been a phenomenal result. But in the end, obviously the red card, you know, Van Hoydonk with the goals, etc. It's just yeah. Look, I think I think most people could see a progression because Alex obviously committed at the end of the two thousand and one, like sort of towards the year, and then this was like the kind of February March time when we played that, you know, sort of two games in in Europe against, as you say a very, very, very impressive final team. And probably at that time, you maybe didn't think they were a team that was going to go on and win it, potentially. But you can see the quality within that squad. Yeah, exactly. A young Robin Van Persie in there as well, who had showed what he would go on to do in his career. But pride against a team like Feyenoord, though, that was, it was, pride was restored and it was going to be restored further. Rangers still had the chance to win silverware. A massive League Cup semi-final was coming up against Celtic. This was the chance to show that Improvement was there under McLeish because although you've although I think they played them in the league and things like that, this is a 
there's Celtic had bit were miles clear in the league. This was an even game. That there was no no advantage, no leading Celtic didn't have a lead at this point. Rangers absolutely took the fight to Celtic in this game and a, a one one draw and you remember the Love and Kranz goal, just the tenacity Love and Kranz has to to win that ball and just he scoops by Baldy and scores. That shows you I think Love and Kranz coming in as well. I think we need to touch on that. There was a there was a there was no fear against Celtic. That's what my patient stalled immediately. You, you, you don't come up against them and, and hide. Yeah, look, I think the one thing, like the two centre-backs that Celtic had back there maybe weren't the quickest. Mm-hmm. Obviously, they used to use a gaff as a full-back, who was very quick. But like what McLeish did really quite smartly was put Lovingkrans on somebody like Sutton if he played at centre-back. Yeah. Like, and put him onto a Baldi or whatever. Because he knew that like Lovingkrans would beat them in terms of his pace. Whereas, like, before that, we tried to put, like, Ronald De Boer up there and Arvaladze. And, and, like, you know, without being, like, sort of, you know, disrespectful, because those guys were great players, they were just getting bullied. And because they maybe didn't have that pace to, like, bust away from those centre-backs, McLeish seen quite quickly that that was something that had to change. And to be fair to Peter Lovingkrans, he obviously had a, had a great run against Celtic for 18 months, two years, where he either you know, sort of caused them a lot of problems and somebody else scored or he scored in the games. And you've got to say tactically, Alex obviously knew Celtic very well and he found a way of playing against them. And, you know, the guy that ended up scoring the winning goal that night, I mean, <laughs> I think I think most people look back at his time in Rangers and I'll remember that goal and maybe the goal that he scored in Europe, where I think they won 1-0 in Poland. Mm-hmm. Um, it's probably maybe his two... His two biggest Rangers achievements, but certainly on the night, I thought we played really well that night. Like, I do remember the game, yeah, against Celtic were big, they were powerful, you know, they got the ball forward early and it was tough. But yeah, look, there was a mentality shift, I think, at that point because I think supporters felt as though we could beat Celtic, and I don't think that was the case towards the end of Advocates' time. I think there was almost an acceptance that, especially when we went to Parkhead, it was going to be extremely difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, but these one-off ties in the cup games, I think it almost played into Alex McLeish's hands because I think he loved that, absolutely loved these cup games. You look at his cup record overall, and it's absolutely fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. As you mentioned, uh, getting into extra time, there was the game was set up for a hero, and I think it's apt that the hero and the the kind of big turning point for Rangers under Mc, like the the early stages of McLeish was scored by the. I would say the symbol, we spoke about it last week, the symbol of the, the kind of downfall of Advocat was consistently sitting by the likes of Bert Conterman, who just couldn't really get going at all. It just there's so many comedy errors. And famously that night, when his name's read out in the team sheet, Celtic fans cheer him. Do you know what I mean? Like that's That summed him up, and it's a thunderbolt of a goal. It's... Yeah. It's one of those memories, and the commentary, obviously, of Archie McPherson just makes it better. It's just... <laughs> Everything about it is just sums this up. Just that this is a new time. This is a new time, and this this figure who'd been mocked by both support Rangers fans okay. did not want him in the team. But I think that's another thing McLeish does. McLeish moves him into midfield and actually gets a tune out. Yeah, I think it became quite clear with Bert that he wasn't going to be able to play centre back in Scotland. Yes, he just didn't have the physicality and. I mean, I don't know if bravery is the right word, but you sort of felt at times he could have put his body on the line a little bit more. Yeah. So when McLeish came in, I mean, the one thing that Bert could do, and anybody that watched Bert, is he could spray a ball anywhere on a football pitch. Mm-hmm. 
you know. So the one thing that McLeish did was like he moved him into the old fashioned six role where he basically yeah. sat in front of the back four and did a good amount of protection. But then the one thing you started to kind of realise after that was he could strike a ball mm-hmm. from like sort of 20, 25 yards. And he actually scored quite a few goals. I think he scored another belter against Dunfermline, I think it was. He scored a really good goal against Murrow in the cup yeah. semi final a year later. Like, yeah, and I think that's the thing. I mean, on that night, that game could have went either way. But just, you know, the break of the ball that night. And I was actually behind the goals at the opposite end of the pitch. So, like, as soon as Conterman hit it, you could see where it was going. Like, you yeah. weren't too sure maybe if the ball was just going to rise above or it was going to go into the net. But I remember when the ball hit the net, like, I know people talk about, like, like the noise in the European games and stuff, but the noise that night at Hamden when that ball hit the net, I don't know if it was, like, sort of relief because... We hadn't really been ahead against Celtic that often in the no. previous 18 months or so. And because it was an extra time, you possibly felt that that goal could be a mentality shift. And I think in the end, you know, what you said was true. That goal really pushed Alex McLeish's like, sort of Rangers managerial career to that next level. And then I think at that point, there was a bigger degree of trust. Mm-hmm. Because I think once you beat Celtic, the supporters kind of think, all right, we've actually managed to beat Martin O'Neill's Celtic team here. And that was a big thing for McLeish, massive. Yeah, and as you say, that obviously Bert Connerman with the goal, but it was that roadblock that we talked about. It was that Celtic roadblock that was just there and you just couldn't get it down. And this was that. This was what it took. And Rangers were obviously through to the League Cup final and sealed it, sealed the first trophy of the McLeish era with a 4-0 victory over the United in the final. It was a pretty routine game. I remember the game vividly because I'd Obviously, from here, I had a few Air fans in my class at school, and I was saying, "You have no chance of winning this game." And it was that thing of like, no disrespect to Air, and there's so many industrial players, and it was great for them to get to a final. But you just felt like this was a turning point. Rangers were getting there, and it was so routine. It was just a routine performance. I remember flowing that game of a terrific game. Yeah, I think I mean, like, sort of without obviously kind of going like forward to the next bit you want to talk about, but. Obviously, we had managed to beat Celtic again by this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, sorry, I think we drew with Celtic at that point again. Yeah. And I think there was like a mentality shift within that squad at that point. And I think we felt as though we could then just beat everybody. And like I think towards the end of that season, we basically did, apart from one or two games. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that final in the end, it was tough for you, you know. I think most people felt that whoever beat Celtic was going to win the cup. And that was the yeah. case, obviously. Um, and and in the final, you know, they have played some some good stuff, and they were a good team. You know, to get to the cup final that year was still, you know, a huge achievement for them. But as you say, like you look at the forward line Rangers could put out that day, you look at the bench that McLeish could pick from. You know, and it's, I mean, on the day it could have been more than four, but I think at that point there was just that happiness that we were back winning trophies again, and obviously as McLeish. You know, getting his first trophy as Rangers manager. I mean, like it's monumental that first trophy as manager of Rangers, especially especially the fact, like obviously by that point in the season under Advocate, we knew the only two trophies we could win were the cup competition. Yeah. So to go and win the first cup competition was absolutely massive for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely as well. And the first trophy in the bag there was a chance to do the cup double, a semi final victory over Parthet Thistle would set up a fourth of May two thousand and two cup final between Rangers and Celtic. Looking back in this game, like going into it, there was there was a there was confidence in Rangers that they could go and do it. Yeah, yeah. And I think and I think that comes off the back of, you know, we 
I think as I touched on previously, we played Celtic in the league and we drew, then we went to Parkhead and get a draw. Yeah. Which I think at that point, like the players obviously felt as though they could go and do it. I mean, obviously on the day, that was probably one of the craziest cup finals. Yes. In terms of, it was like back and forth and back and forth. And, you know, the sort of memory for me, I know obviously people will talk about the one and go, but uh, Barry Ferguson's free kick, I don't know what it was. Like that goal has just always been in my mind, like since that day. Mm-hmm. Um, that just felt like a pivotal moment for Barry and for Alex. Because they two became a great duo the next season. That became a huge yeah. importance of, you know, like Barry Ferguson became a different type of player under McLeish in that kind of second season. But that cup final, you know, Celtic, I think, took the lead and then we equalised. Celtic kind of took the lead again and then we equalised. And then, obviously, you know, everybody knows the winning goal, don't they? Yeah. You know, and the I you touch, you touch on a really interesting point. Obviously, Celtic took the lead early on. I think it was Hartson that scored and then Loving yeah, Grants. Yeah getting back into it but then Baldi for a header it put Celtic back in front and you, you see this difference in Barry Ferguson that I think carries him and I think this is a turning point for him although although we knew his talent he's he'd got the captaincy under quite controversial circumstances with the, the Amoruso situation but he drives that team forward that day he just picks everybody up on the park and I mean the free kick just sums him up it's just pinpoint into the back of the net and it brings Rangers level with 20 minutes to go. But you see that day a real captain's performance for Barry Ferguson. This is him emerging as a proper leader. Yeah, look, I mean, I'm, I'm very lucky. Like, you know, I'm coming up for 40 this year. So I've seen a lot of great players play for Rangers. But you know, Barry Ferguson's right up there. Mm-hmm. I know, look, Celtic fans will never admit how good Barry Ferguson was and stuff like that. But I mean, Barry was, and probably is to this day, one of the best Scottish players that's ever played the game up here. You know, Barry's ability, especially in some of the European ties under Advocat, were absolutely amazing. You know, mm-hmm. Barry was up against some of the top, top players in European football, and he was standing out. So, you know, in that cup final, as you say, it was like, you know, the chest is puffed out, the heart's pumping, he's standing over this free kick. And I don't know if it's like an arrogance, but he obviously believed that he could score that. Yeah, and for him to actually step up and score the goal the way he did, that was yet again another big huge. But yet again, like you don't know how that would have been a mentality shift if we went on to lose that game. You don't know how the next season would have turned out. So like to go into that cup final to fight back twice and to then go and win it, I I just think that was a monumental moment for the whole squad, knowing that we'd beaten Celtic twice at Hamden in huge cup games. And it really pushed us on, obviously, the following season. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously, the final would it looked to be heading for extra time. And Rangers, the thing that emerged to me is just how fitter and better Rangers were. It we we thought with this team that they were going to have to beat Celtic with with fight and determination, yeah. but it was pace. They had far more pace and far more fitness in that Celtic team. And if that if Lovinkranz doesn't score that header, I think Rangers could have scored five and that's that extra tight. It could have been five two because Celtic were out in their feet and Rangers were just going at them and going at them and Lovinkranz's header. I mean it's it's one of our it's one of our huge memories when following Rangers, but it's just it's an unbelievable moment, isn't it? It's just the, the memories of that day I don't think I'll ever forget. No, look, I think it's fair to say that that is that the pivotal moment under like 
uh, Alex McLeish's tenure. I mean, obviously the first cup win was big, but to actually beat Celtic in that cup final was like the next step. And then after that, it felt like it felt like every player had a belief that we go and win the league, which clearly that you know season we won the two cups. We were so far behind Celtic in the league, mm-hmm. and even though Alex had went on that amazing run, as you said, you know we really couldn't have been that much further away from Celtic. Yeah, it's sort of on and off the pitch. Celtic were, you know, like sort of competing in the Champions League. They were doing well in the old like sort of UEFA Cup. They were a very difficult team to play against home and away because of the style. Yeah, the fact that Alex had managed to play these four games against Celtic and had remained undefeated. It was just a huge mental shift for the whole squad. And, and I would say bigger was the supporter. The supporters by the end of that season had maybe went from why did we appoint Alex McLeish to take over the advocate to no, this guy knows what he's doing. He's got it set up in the right way and we've managed to beat Celtic twice. So I think that was a massive thing for Alex. Yeah, and it reinvigorated the support and it installed that confidence that they could regain the league title from Celtic. It wasn't a case of Celtic were going to dominate Rangers were back and going to compete in the mm-hmm. the league and and every competition. But let's get into off the field stuff because I think that summer of two thousand and two is extremely pivotal. The day is we spoke about the kind of emergency with the day and the the losses at this point and the day in the summer of two thousand and two is sitting at fifty two million and Murray's beginning to feel the pinch from the from the support who rightly I think there was a small portion thought. How are Rangers going to trade out of this these losses? And what did that what did what was the kind of thoughts at the time of that? Like, was there a because the whole thing of money at this point is still I'm the man, I'm putting the money in. This is my show. And when your debt's in at 52 million, how's that possible? When Murray again was just rubbing it off as that this is a this is a media storm just to whip up chaos. It's it wasn't and He's still of that attitude at this point of something will turn up. Yeah, look, I think obviously that summer, I don't think too many supporters thought we would spend much money. Yeah. And I think we thought we'd be probably scaled down a little bit on the squad. Um but in terms of the money, I think I don't know if there was maybe like like a blind spot for a lot of it. Maybe we just didn't think about stuff like that back then. Because for most supporters, like most football clubs, for all, maybe they could be in a little bit of debt. There was always a thought that, well, if we get to the Champions League, that money will put us back in a good position because I've sold two or three players from that squad that could have brought in some money. And he clearly, I mean, I know you've not touched on it yet, he clearly like the start to the European campaign that year didn't go particularly well. So that yeah. year was another, another huge, you know, sort of financial blow to the club. And it was maybe around about that Zizkov game that maybe we thought to ourselves, right, you're probably in a wee bit of trouble here because there's no European income now for the rest of the season. We're obviously sitting with this, you know, kind of 40, 50 million pounds. What does the club have to do to kind of sort of right the wrongs almost? But then, like, what happens is usually is when things are going well on the pitch, that seems to just get kind of coated over and people forget about it. And I think yeah. that's basically what happened during that season because obviously the team had a a pretty successful season and it probably wasn't until later on that season that we started to recognise that there was more than what maybe we first thought to be honest yeah and as you say like Murray's he's still got his head in the sand at this point that that something will turn up but there's a problem there that needs fixed and you need a dynamic chairman to fix it and instead of 
stepping in and going, what can I do? What can what yeah. can I do to fix my mess? He steps down as chairman and John McClellan takes over in the summer of 2002. He was on the board as vice chairman and he gets promoted. We, so we'll touch about McClellan's background. He came from the IBM and his renowned thing was cost-cutting. Yeah. But with hindsight, it was clear to see McClellan was put in because he needed a, he needed to get the debt down, and we we see that we we know that that's obvious, but it's more because Murray didn't have the heart to come out and say this club's in trouble. I we need to do some cutting. I need to, I I can't be here for that because that will ruin yeah. the positive opinion people have of me. That's Murray's mo at this point. It's not about fixing a problem that he's created it's more about this does need fixed but I can't be the face of it yeah look you know like you're trying to rack your brains back to that time and, and how things like sort of broke down and how it all ended up and yeah look, the one thing about David Murray is he could certainly stand up at a press conference and say things and he had a belief in what he said and I think most supporters because of the money that he'd invested in the club most people probably just felt he would have just you know, put the money in and that would have sorted the problem. But yeah, when you seen that change at that time and then obviously the stuff was kind of coming out about the banks and then, as you say, the change at the top, it, it was starting to ring like a bell among some supporters. Probably not to the point that it eventually did, clearly, but there was certainly a thought that, right, we're probably not going to spend much money this summer, although we actually did end up spending, you know, sort of really good money on one player. Mm-hmm. But, I think most people maybe expected that we maybe go out and sell a Deboer or we might sell a Flo. Yeah. Or, or at that point, obviously, there was a lot of talk about Barry potentially. Yeah, there was. And there was there was a lot of talk in that cup, the day that cup final because there was, what is this Barry Ferguson's last yeah, last yeah. moment at Rangers? And that was the thing at the time. Like That was, realistically, anybody was for sale. And that's, <laughs> and this is the weird thing for me about this whole thing is that Murray... McClelland obviously took the day-to-day operations at the club and was obviously tasked with just bringing the cost down. And Murray's still there. Murray's the honorary chairman. Now, we'll touch on the the kind of next episode about him coming back and how he ends up coming back. But at this point, Scottish football's not in a good place. The TV deal is... The the shambles it is. We spoke about that last week of the ridiculous SPL TV thing. But... The move to England was also getting mentioned. That was never mounting to anything, wasn't it? There was it. Murray was just. It was hoping something would turn up, and the TV deal was down. The move to England was not. It wasn't doing anything. That they're just no matter what it needed was somebody to to say right. I will. I will fix this, and he just didn't. He just oh. couldn't bring himself to even put put his hand in his pocket because we know that we know he had the money, and. It's, it's it's that thing. It's that thing of I've rode this for as long as I can. Yeah. Instead of fixing it, I'll just hopefully cut it and hopefully it doesn't fall back in me. And that was that was David Murray. Yeah. Look, I, I mean, like that summer, I felt the club had like two options that summer. Like we either sold the club and like David Murray sold the club to somebody who would be willing to pay off the debt. Yeah. And maybe put a little bit of money into the club, which was a viable option given like Rangers were still a big club. You know, if you won the league that next season, you've got a chance of being in the Champions League, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So that's obviously like a big income that can come from that. Or you tear apart the squad and you sell players to bring the debt down to 
what would have been deemed like a manageable amount. Because Eddie likes most teams in the world that still to this day manage their debt. So like, yeah. it's not like you can't manage, say, 10 or 15 or 20 million pounds of debt. It's very manageable, especially if you do well in European competition. So that summer, I think there was, as I said earlier, I thought that maybe guys like Flo would go in the end, but I think that was an expectation because of the wages, the transfer fee. But then I think I think a lot more people felt that two or three other players were going to go, and that would have brought the debt down massively. But then all of a sudden we sign like Mikel Arteta and you're sitting going, all right, so we're going to spend like five or six million pounds on this guy, given that, you know, we're sitting with this kind of debt. And yeah, look, there was things that summer that seemed a little bit strange, to be honest. And maybe looking back now, we should have maybe seen things a bit brighter in our eyes and what we actually did in the end. And see what you brought up there about managing debt. I think that, I think that's a big point as well, because at this point, I would imagine every football club had a, had a, had a big debt, but it's how you manage it. Yeah. And Rangers weren't managing it. And mm. Murray... And we talk, we'll touch on Murray. We've touched on him last week about how the the height, the tax situation, and things like that. And he just couldn't bring himself to to come out and say because if he'd come out and said in the summer of two thousand and two and the the year before that, like we've we've over we've overreached, we've spent too yeah. much money, we need to cut it down. The fans would have been like, nah, kind of the days the days of super spending are over, but. As long as if the team was somehow doing okay, and we see that with Smith, Smith later on is on a tight, tight budget, but he gets a tune out the the yeah. team. So as long as the team are competing in some way, if Murray had come out and said at this point, listen, we we need to cut the cost down, we need to sell a few players, we need to be active in the transfer market, we need to do a bit of we need to do a bit of cutting. I think the fans would have would have been accepting. I think they really would have because they would have seen the bigger picture. But Murray couldn't bring himself to do that. He just couldn't because it would it was it was his ego. His oh, ego was all about yeah. If I come out and say this, then I'm not I'm not the king. I'm not the man who uh, it's not my show. It's because it he didn't he didn't spend any of his own money in into Rangers. But no, he gave off that myth that he did. Yeah look I think I think the word you used there is spot on and it was ego. That was very Absolute much ego. Do you know, and I think, as I said earlier, he could have easily put the club up for sale at any point, probably between 2000 and 2002, and he would have found somebody to buy it. And I think the way that the club would have been run would have been slightly different. And it might have taken a few more years for things to right themselves, but the club would have been under a much better financial position than what it ended up being in. So, yeah, and I think that's a sad thing about David Murray. You know, he obviously did a lot of good for the football club, like obviously the training ground, which is still there to this day, and it's now producing a lot of talented young footballers. And obviously, like, there was a lot of work done at Ibrox, etc., and a lot of things that maybe people never seen. But it'll always be tarnished by the fact that he didn't do enough to stop the football club sliding into the financial abyss, really. And I've no doubt in my mind that at that point, Somebody would have bought the football club and would have righted a lot of the wrongs. But for some reason, with his ego, he thought he could maybe put somebody in there who could right that problem and then he could come back and then everything would be okay. And, and then clearly, yeah. that wasn't the case. But that's, that's ego. That's yeah. Take the credit for the good, but don't take the, the flack for the bad. And that's that's David Murray. And that is, that's what we spoke about last week. You can 
you can do everything right. I mean, we we spoke about we we touched on it last week. I mean, there's a lot of people who have tremendous legacies, but all it takes is one thing to ruin it, and this is this is the same. This is it. Yeah, hundred percent, mate. And this is the thing in football. You can go from being a god to being the most hated guy in the country in seconds, yep. and then. <coughs> a huge amount of good for Rangers Football Club. But nobody can deny that. You know, the club deck, as I said earlier, you know, the training ground, which, you know, it's like 20, 30 years later, is is still in a phenomenal place. But the reality is people will always look back at the mismanagement of the football club. And for a guy that was clearly very intelligent, because like you don't make the money that he did if you're not a reasonably intelligent individual who knows the business. So for him to let the... Like the club slide the way that it was at that point, it's mind blowing, really. And I think no supporter will ever forgive him for not stepping in or even stepping away and selling the club when he had, you know, the opportunity to do it. Because clearly back then there was people with that kind of wealth that could have took over the club and done something about it. Instead, he just, for some reason in his mind, he felt as though by bringing in maybe a few friends that could help run the club. But in the end, it was just like, you know, a sort of catastrophic mistake on his part. Yeah, and I think that's, if, if he had, if he, if he made his money from Rangers, he would have, I think he would have done something like that, but he, he'd made his money already. Yeah. That Rangers wasn't, Rangers wasn't his, kind of money-making thing. Rangers was, pro, as we said a few weeks ago, a leisure pursuit, and yeah. that's what it was, and he just couldn't bring himself to, to fix his problems. But, we spent enough time talking about off the field stuff. Oh, this the two thousand two two thousand three season is memorable, and on the field stuff. And the season starts the the pre season Rangers kind of don't really spend anything. They this they, they recoup six million for Tory Andrew Flo. It was a fifty percent loss, but to be honest, that deal was that was actually probably decent to get that level of money back for Tory Andrew Flo because yeah. they massively overpaid for him two years before. Flo didn't have a Flo didn't have a bad spell at Ibrox. I know he's been oh. perceived. I know he's been perceived to be a, a flop. He wasn't. He just couldn't live up to the massive price tag. He had to be the second coming on that with that price tag. And yeah, I mean just... it was silly. I mean it was silly money. I know at the time you're obviously excited about it because most people had seen him play for Chelsea and seen the quality that he had. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we should. I mean, see if we bought him for five or six million. Most people would have, even to this day, would have said that was decent value for Correct. what he was getting. Yeah. But to pay double that um, was absolute lunacy, really, when you look back. And it's not like we didn't have attacking players back then. We still had a, a high degree of quality. But it was almost as though a free sign Tori Andre Flo will just beat Celtic. And that, like, I don't know if that was the mindset, but it sort of felt like that at the time. And like looking back now, you know, given where the club has been and where it is. No, excuse me. It's it's crazy to think that we spend that amount of money on one player for Scottish football. It really is. Yeah, I mean it's crazy. It's just it's, it was a crazy deal at the time. But they did spend the they did spend the money again. They went into the the Spanish market. They bought a youngster from Barcelona who Rangers fans would have remembered from his his loan spell at PSG by the name of Mikel Arteta. They also signed Kevin Muscat from Millwall, but. Arteta was the one that got the blood flowing into this. For £6 million, Mikel Arteta, it was exciting. Yeah, look, I mean, obviously I hadn't really heard of Mikel, if I'm totally honest, 
you know, when we signed him that summer. Um, obviously, we had, had a, a slight viewing of him the previous season in the yeah. European games. But, I mean, that was it. You know, like, at that point, like, you weren't exactly switching on Sky and watching a lot of Spanish league games and stuff like that. So, it, it was a surprise that the club were, were prepared to spend that kind of money. Um, and, obviously, over the season, Mikel clearly proved his high quality. Um, and I think you could argue that if the club had managed the situation better, they probably should have made a profit on Mikel. But in the end, a bit like everything that was going on at that time, it felt like we were just not doing things the right way. Yeah, I mean, well, that's something I want to touch on next week because that's crazy how Rangers sign up a youngster from six million does really well and they lose money on him. But that's we'll touch on the character who made that happen next week. But Rangers started that season in really good form in the league, eight wins from the first nine games. But Victoria Ziskov, a oh, yeah. Czech Republic team who. I don't think we've we've heard of before that or since. Rangers lose 2-0 in Ch- the Czech Republic and then bring it back to Ibrox and 1-3-1, but obviously that that away goals rule that was a sore one to take. Yeah. At the time, this wasn't a good sign that Rangers were going out to such a low team, but with the benefit of hindsight, even after that season... With the run Celtic go on, is it not a blessing in disguise at Rangers? I mean, look, <laughs> yeah, look, at the time, I remember actually the game over in the Czech Republic. I remember the defeat. And I don't know if we were arrogant towards it, but I think maybe as supporters, we felt as though we would be okay. You know, even the 2 0 defeat, we'd be yeah. okay. Because I think at Ibox, we always felt like we could turn the game around. And in the end, like at Ibox, we actually played pretty well. Um, and I think, if my memory serves me right, I think we were actually 3 nothing up. Yeah, we were. In the extra time, and then they scored. So, yeah, again, like, you don't know. See if we'd actually made it through to the group stages that year, we'd be went on to win the league. It, like, there's so many ifs, buts, and maybes, but, yeah, look, you're probably right. The fact that we could have 100% focus on just the Scottish competitions probably helped us more than it helped Celtic given the run they had in Europe that year. So, yeah, looking back, was it a good thing? Well, obviously not. But, yeah, like sort of towards the end of that season, if, if you'd offered supporters what we ended up doing, they would have probably took it. And I know that's a ludicrous thing to say at the time when you've been knocked out of Europe by a Czech team that not many people had heard of. But that's the reality of what we needed that season. And in the end, we were, you know, fortunate enough to do it. Yeah, absolutely as well. When it's... Rangers go to Parkhead for the first old fun game of the season. And I think this game sums up this the season we're going to talk about. Like <laughs> it's just back and forth. It's a three-three draw, and it's just it shows how close the teams were in terms of quality in different ways. Like Celtic had the power and the yeah. physicality of Rangers had pace and a lot of kind of technical ability. But it was you could see then this was going to be neck and neck. Both sides were very evenly matched in different ways. Yeah, like what we went that day at Parkhead was literally just got, it was like two bulls going head to head. And I mean, like, I remember Arteta's goal, clearly the goalkeeper had one of his bad moments that day, <laughs> and I rolled over him. But then like, typically Larson scores and then the Rangers in. I mean, like, I remember being at the game and you're sitting going, no Larson again. You know, <laughs> and that was always the fault. I mean, he scored, you just, <coughs> see, was it? see when you see him in the start and the loving, you just always felt like he would score. <laughs> so, uh, I remember when Celtic took the lead, I remember, like sort of looking round about a few of the guys and you thought, you know, like, here we go again. But then 
obviously we then go and score for kickoff, which was like you know mental. So obviously Rangers obviously get back on level terms. It was a great header for Ronald De Boer. And then I think there was a week and a 20 minute spell in the game, 25 minute spell, where it was just like back and forth. But then like Arvalanzi like sort of dives in, in the box and he somehow gets a little touch to the like the breakdown of the ball and then it just sort of rumbles mm-hmm. into the net. So like the delirium in the Rangers end at that point has looked you know, you know, we've got to win at Parkhead here. You know, this is this is like sort of going beyond where we thought we could be. But then within a few minutes, <laughs> you know, it's free free and you're sitting going, please don't lose the game. And that was what it was like that season playing Celtic at times. It was just back and forth. And it was just two teams with so much attacking threat mm-hmm. that it was crazy to watch some of those games that season. And I mean, see, to be honest with you, that 3 free game could have been five each. Yeah. And like, there was just so many attempts in that game. But yeah, look, that was another big moment for Alex because, see, under Advocate, we probably wouldn't have got that kind of result. No, absolutely not. And as you say, it's that thing of no, not especially the way that his like sort of tenure ended. The fact that Alex, could, yeah, you know, the fact that Alex could go there and get. Don't get me wrong, we were disappointed having been ahead to drawing, but given that we hadn't won that many games at Parkhead for a period, it was important that we took something from the game. Yeah, absolutely. And you say that it's that tenacity of not giving in because that advocate team did did give in and just oh, it did. Yeah, and. Rangers, they then go on a twenty. They, they don't lose a game in their first twenty-one league games and beat Celtic three-two. That was a big turning point as well. That was a first victory over Celtic in the league, I think, for two two and a half seasons. That was a big relief as well. Yeah, I mean, like my my abiding memory of that game was that I think I was a bit later getting into the ground and I think I'd basically just got to my seat and Celtic could score. And I was like, yeah, that was. I think it was only. About <laughs> I remember looking around. Yeah, like, I remember looking around going. We just went one nothing behind, <laughs> and like it was, it was kind of like he scored. What was it like twenty seconds or something? Twenty four seconds, I think. Uh... But yeah, again, I think as you had kind of touched on, the character in that range yes. changed, and uh, so Craig Moore, I think, scored for my header, mm-hmm. and then a brilliant finish for Ronald De Boer, who seemed to be the guy that season against Celtic. He had scored quite a few. Terrific that season. Him and Barry yeah. that season were unbelievable. And then like Michael Moles, who'd obviously come back from yeah. a lot, a lot of football, he obviously put his 3-1 ahead. But then like you knew that Celtic team wouldn't just like disappear. So in the second half, obviously Celtic pulled it back to 3-2 and, you know, the fact we were able to see that game out, yeah, again, that was another big a big moment for Alex, you know, the first one at Ibrox against Celtic, the first league one against Celtic for Alex, the fact that we'd fallen behind but come back to win the game, all of these things are just big positives for the manager, and there's no doubt that over that season, those were the games that, you know, sort of won and lost us the league kind of thing, that was like the moments that we knew against Celtic, we had to come the end of that season, be at least level on points with Celtic in terms of like the four games. If you could be ahead of them, great. But uh, over those four games, we had to be at least level on points with Celtic. That was the kind of mindset. Yeah, and as you say, like the the whole league season, it's just neck and neck. I mean, Rangers, Rangers lose their first game in Boxing Day against Motherwell, a 1-0 defeat. James McFadden scored the goal. That makes me feel old because I remember, remember that. But five straight wins after that before a a defeat to Celtic in March. Rangers were still three points clear ahead of Celtic in the league, but 
it all turned to the League Cup final where Rangers would play Celtic. Celtic were coming off a massive result against Liverpool in the UEFA Cup, so very nicely poised, but Rangers that day just played Celtic off the park in that first half. Two early goals in the first half with Peter Lovenkrantz and Claudio Carigia just showed that Rangers were just fast out the traps and it was a great start for Rangers for, to get that first trophy in the board. Yeah, look, I think as we touched on previously, like the cup competitions for Alex just, it seemed to spark the club. You know, it's hard to know how some managers are just very good cup managers, but Alex just had that knack with Rangers overall. Um, and yeah, again, it was another big one. It was a win that we needed. Um, I think we'd lost to Celtic in the league. And um, by that point, I think, I think we lost 1-0. So it was important to then go and win the next game, which obviously we managed to do. Um, and I think for memory, was that, not, was that game on like Channel 5 or something? Channel like 5, yeah. That's it was bizarre. Um, but yeah, again, like, I mean, like Celtic were always a threat and, you know, when you seen that front three, four, five players, you know, like you knew that game wasn't over. But I think on the day, and even somebody like Kanija, like sort of, I would say that Alex got more out of Kanija than what maybe most supporters expected. I mean, at the end of the day, like Claudio was coming to the end of his career. Yeah. But he still like, had it. Yeah, he did make, you know, he had moments of absolute quality. And, you know, that, you know, that cup final, yet again, we just managed to find a way of getting past Celtic in the moments that we required. And, you know, as you say, that's like the third cup competition in the, in the bag for Alex within basically just over a year and a bit. Yeah, and as you say, like that's my memories of that day are obviously Hearts and missing the penalty. That's yeah. a big day. But just how fast Rangers were out the traps, it's just like score early, just mm-hmm. make Celtic work. And Celtic come back. Celtic do recover quite well. I think Larson scores and... Uh, I think they got a goal chopped off for offside, but Rangers are just on the day just better. And certain that was the thing, as you say, that those cup competitions, the first two seasons, McLeish had just had it spot on. He just he knew that was the big opportunity. And but in the league, we'll go back to the league. It's it's so tight. It's <laughs> I mean, Celtic come to Ibrooks and you know, the famous beach ball thing. Rangers uh, Celtic got to the AFA Cup final losing to Porto, but Celtic were on this remarkable run and yeah. it was so nicely poised for a if you were a neutral that 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 run and you were loving it every week weekend because it was so off and on. There were so many different things to focus on. But I want to touch on two specific games before mm-hmm. we get into the final day. That Celtic defeat yeah, yeah. and then the famous Dundee game. Do you remember that? Uh yeah, I was at Dens that day. And I said I didn't miss many games back then. I don't get to as many away games now, but back then I basically was every game. Um yeah. Was it no John Robottom, was it that was in charge of the I think, game? I think it could have been, yeah. But... Um, and I remember just like the penalty, then the penalty. <laughs> and like I mean I'd never seen anything like that in my life before. <laughs> like, I'm not gonna lie. And yet again, like back then, like Dundee were a seriously good team. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. You know, like like the Italian um, brothers or whatever owned the yeah, club and they, brand, yeah, in. they brought in Benetti and the, yeah, and they're bringing in these South American guys were coming in like Sarah and uh, Caballero, Caballero and, yeah. and then like, obviously they turned up with like sort of Zurab Kizanishvili and then they signed them Zadze and I remember, remember Ravinelli yeah I remember seeing them Zadze playing in Europe previously and I'm like how the hell's this guy ended up at Dundee and he was a magician an absolute magician with the ball and then like you just looked at their squad and you thought, 
we need to go here and win, especially having lost to Celtic. Like we knew we had to go there yeah. and win. Obviously, in the end, we didn't. We drew, and I think I think if you ask most Rangers fans after that game, I think most of us probably felt, you know, that was it. That we wouldn't, that we wouldn't be, you know, winning the league title at that point because we dropped five points in two games, and. If you ask most people at that end of the season, you just need to find ways to win, and we weren't doing that over those two games against Celtic and Dundee. No, absolutely not. But yeah, as you say, Ferguson missing two penalties, and I remember obviously getting the third penalty and thinking, I think I was sitting with my dad, and I says, Ferguson cannot <laughs> take this penalty, no. and he, I think he, but I think a steps up, puts it away. It's a two-two draw, and it all nicely poised onto a final day. Rangers are at Ibrox against Dunfermline. Celtic are away to Kilmarnock at Rugby Park. Leveling points, leveling goals. It's just who's got the bigger, who scores the most goals. And getting into that day, it was wow. It was just so much hype about how big this day was. But it was also weird because there wasn't like you would think. You would think now a title decider, but it was the media were so focused on Celtic in the UEFA Cup that it just kind of slipped under the radar, didn't it? Do you remember kind of Celtic's run at that point? Like, Oh, I do. I do. Like, I mean, I think they beat Liverpool, didn't they? Beat Liverpool. Black, they, yeah, I mean, and then I think they won in Portugal as well. Was that the quarterfinal in the semi-final? Boa Vista in the semi-final. Yeah, look, I mean, that final day was mind-boggling. I mean, I've been fortunate enough to be at, like, Parkhead when Rangers won the league. I was at Easter Road when Celtic lost at Mullerwell. But that day was different than Ibrox. I don't know. Like, it's hard to explain to people. It was like, we knew that we could blow teams away with the quality we had. But we were also worried that Celtic could blow Kamarnik away. Yeah. And you weren't too sure how many goals you were going to need to win that game. And even just touching on the game, I remember taking the lead early. And then, I can't remember who it was that scored the Dauphin goal, but the guy pings it for like 25 yeah. yards or something. Jason like Dare, yeah. And you're sitting going, <laughs> you, know, like you just expected it to be like a one-way street. You just expected yeah. Rangers to constantly be on the attack. And I remember all the jokes back then that oh, Jimmy Calderwood will send on a goal that he play up front and Rangers will... And, but I mean, I see you on that day, Dunfermline were actually really good. Yeah, um, I mean, they, they certainly didn't lay down as opposed to no, a no, certain no, Celtic no. striker insinuated they didn't no, lay down. And I think, yeah, I think that was hugely disrespectful. I, I totally was, yeah. And I think, like, that Dunfermline team that day, Rangers just got to a point in that game where we turned the screw to a point that I don't think we'd done, like, like sort of before under McLeish. Some of the attacking play that day, the amount of cross balls we got into the box, the amount of touches in the penal area, like, it, it must have been off the charts that day. You know, like the amount of attacking players that were on the pitch at one point. And, I mean, I think I've got the, like, the goal scorers down, Moles, Kanija, Arvaladze, Thompson and De Boer. How the hell were all those five guys on the pitch at one time? And that was the thing as well. It was the, the two memories I've got that stick out were, do you remember those really old boom boxes you used to get, the big massive ones? Yeah, yeah, there was yeah. a guy, I was sitting in the club <laughs> deck that day, and there was a guy sitting next to me, one of them, and he was getting everything for Rugby Park, so we were getting updated. And I remember the, do you remember when De Boer, I think De Boer scored to make it 4-1? Yes. And De Boer, just as De Boer was hitting the net, Celtic got a penalty. That's right. And Alan Thompson skied it over the bar. Yeah. That's that sticks out to me. But it was just that kind of it was like you were you'd one ear to the radio and two eyes. And it was 100%. just crazy. It was just that you'll never ever experience that again. And that's what I say. Like 
I was I was overly old at this point, but I just remember that day so vividly, just how everything about it. I remember everybody wearing police hats, remember the bill thing, like that just <laughs> sticks out to me as well. Like it just it was just a massive, massively entertaining day. Yeah. And it all came down to the last goal. Celtic were four nil up. Celtic were pushing. I watched the game back. Celtic were pushing for that fifth goal and just couldn't get it. But Rangers got a penalty and Neil McCann gets filled and Mikel Arteta steps up and puts it away, slots it away. Just the calmest guy in the stadium that day. 50,000 just biting their nails, turning away and just the calmness of Arteta to slot that penalty away. It's so pinpoint. I mean, I think something people forget. I think that was Cully's heaviest defeat that season at home. Yeah, they were a good team. That's it. They were a good team under. Yeah, they were. So, I mean, like for for Celtic <coughs> to be so comfortable in that game, and for it basically like to come down to one of the last kicks of the ball over a thirty-eight game league season, where two teams had went toe to toe, it literally came down to a young Spanish midfield player in front of a packed Ibrox where. Basically, the eyes of the world on Mikel Arteta taking this penalty, and the kid was stone cold. I mean, I mean, like, I don't know how I would have felt. I mean, I, I, I mean, like my mind at that point in that game was just score. But like you're not on the pitch, you're not the one that's standing twelve yeah. yards out at the penalty spot. But Mikel's ability to just step up and take that kind of penalty was just ridiculous, and like the composure. I mean, like you look at the players on the pitch that day. There was like probably another four or five guys that kind of took that penalty. But this young kid was so confident in his own ability to step up and score. And he did. And the noise when that ball hit the net was was something else. And I think at that point, maybe that was when we, we thought we'd done enough. But clearly, by the time the full-time whistle went, we were all still waiting. I just remember, yeah, I just remember waiting. And, yeah, and yeah. I'll never forget Alec McLeish is just standing, just waiting and something. And he just, he does the kind of cross his hand. He just says, it's finished. Yeah. And you just hear the roar. I think every day was focused in McLeish. As soon as McLeish went like that, it was that was it. And just the, I'll never ever forget that day. It was just a memorable, memorable day. But it was also a record fifty league championships as well. It just showed that this was a monumental season. And Rangers had a chance to complete a domestic treble, faced indeed in the Scottish Cup final. I think is it fair to say that the Rangers side were suffering from the the title celebrations that week because it was not a vintage cup final. Yeah, I think it's fair to say that we were pretty rubbish. Yes, <laughs> in that cup final, and it was probably just a bit apt that Amo got the goal. You know, Amo had took Aye. a lot of criticism at times under his his time <coughs> in terms of maybe his his moments of uh, slackness, shall we say? Um, but you know what, uh, Amo was a great guy. He was a good captain for the football club while he was the captain. He never shied away from criticism. You know, he always stood up, puffed his chest out and got on with it. And, you know, for the big man, he scored the winning goal in that cup final, which was probably about the only good moment in the game, really. Um, And yet again, as I touched on it, that Dundee team were a very good team. And that cup final wasn't a given. So the fact that we won that, as you say, I think the players had a few extra days celebrating. Maybe the manager should have curtailed that a bit earlier. But, yeah, I think, to be honest with you, seeing if we'd lost that cup final, most people would have probably forgiven Alex just because we'd won the 50th title. But yeah. it was special to win the treble. Not many Rangers managers have done it. No. So, for Alex... the last Rangers manager to do it up until Yeah, and, and that's the thing, mate. It's something that maybe 
doesn't get spoken about enough. Alex took over from Dick Advocat, who in the main had signed the majority of those players, but Alex McLeish got a lot more out of those players than Dick Advocat ever did. Yeah. And I think that's the one thing that stands out to you about Alex. He was clearly a, a very good man manager who the players had huge degrees of trust in. And he was also clearly very tactically smart because when you go into these games, as he proved the following season, which we'll obviously touch on at another time in Europe, he showed his like his technical ability and his tactical ability was there. And he also found a way of competing against Celtic regularly which was something that every supporter, well, basically demanded. And, you know, he managed to do that over that first kind of year and a half. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that, that those 18 months that he was there, winning five five of the, the trophies that were available to him were about as good as you can get, like a double yeah. and a treble. And getting that Celtic monkey off your back that you can compete with them, you can mm-hmm. attack them and, be, and play them off the park. And Rangers did do that. And, the whole memories of this time were obviously Alec McLeish. It goes down how fast, as we'll touch on in a second. But those 18 months, I don't think. I think Alec McLeish's legacy is intact just because of them. Like, I think that he just comes in and gets such a tune out of this team. Yeah, look, Alex basically managed to get something out of every player, which I think at times under Advocate, you kind of felt like the players maybe, I don't know if they didn't trust them. But maybe just the like advocate's way of doing things maybe wasn't something that every player liked. But I think like sort of Alex's ability to man manage players, especially some of the older players who maybe couldn't play every game. And obviously a few times during that season when we were winning comfortably, we would take off the boot to give him a rest, mm-hmm. or we would maybe take off Kanija and we would try and like sort of utilize players in certain games because you know they could play 90 minutes and I think that's where Alex was absolutely brilliant. And I think you saw at the end of that season how much all the players loved him. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think for the supporters, that's certainly something that will stay with me for a long time. That you know, like the turnaround that Alex managed to get with that squad. I'll be honest with you, when Alex took over, if somebody told me we were going to win the next five trophies, I would have probably thought you were a bit mental. Yeah, absolutely. But you know, like, given how far behind Celtic we were, um, so like you know, the job that Alex did over that period was was genuinely phenomenal. Absolutely yeah, phenomenal. Absolutely was. And we'll, we'll we'll wrap up the show there. We'll on the next episode of the Rangers Journey, we will focus on what happens after that treble winning campaign. The the weird summer of two thousand three where McLeish gets that sold that squad sold out from under him. The disappointment of that, but we t- we'll touch on a me- another memorable season of 0405 and what happens after that. William, it's been an absolute pleasure to be on the show. Thank you very much indeed. Thanks for having me, mate. Cheers. But an absolute pleasure and touch back with us next week for the next chapter of the Rangers journey. Thank you very much, everyone. We'll see you soon.